Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What a weekend of international football it was. Can't wait to get stuck into it on the Gegen Pod with our former stars, Mark Schwarzer, Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges. All the big storylines from Scotland's landmark win to England back on track, Italy bouncing back, Belgium's renaissance, a bit of Cristiano Ronaldo and what's wrong with the Netherlands, we take a look at it all. We'll talk Socceroos, WSL and the return of the Premier League. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegen Pod. It is indeed a blockbuster lineup on the Gegen Pod this week. Former Premier League stars Mark Schwarzer, Thomas Sorensen, and Michael Bridges. And even though it's been an international break, we do need to start with the Premier League because, Michael, the inevitable has happened. Antonio Conte, a mutually departing Tottenham, at least that was Tottenham's line. I'm not sure how much you believe it. What was your response when the news finally came through? Absolutely delighted. I was buzzing with the news when it came through. We talked about it on previous podcasts. I said after what what had gone on and what he'd said, it, it he had to go. It had to be done. And um, thankfully, it common sense has prevailed and he has gone. So I cannot wait to see who is going to come in. There's huge names getting talked about it. And the timing of a Bayern Munich manager sacking their manager could be absolute diamond material for Tottenham Hotspur. I tell you what, every time Tottenham sack a manager, right, it's like Bridges, like, I can't, it's unbelievable, it's the right time, can't wait for him. Like, when they appoint him, he goes, like, this is the man, this is the man, he's the man, he's going he's gonna to win trophies for Tottenham. Mate, he changes <laughs> every other day. It's like he changes his clubs. How many times he changes his clubs? He was the man, but he had to go after what he said. Nuno was as well. Bridgie, you're the biggest broken record ever. You're sitting there saying the same, and I think you're falling into the same trap. You're back on the Tottenham trail of big managers being mentioned. You know, I think we've got to talk strategy here, mate. You've got to talk about is the biggest managers, have they been successful at Tottenham? I don't think they have. So, uh, hey, Bridgie, don't go down the same route again. I'm telling you, the, the guy, Nagelsmann, is the man. They've got to go and strike while the iron is hot. And Swartzy, you know more about this guy. I am telling you, I would love to see Tottenham get him. I just don't know whether or not he would feel Tottenham are a big enough club for him right now. Because, look, I reckon it was really harsh him getting the sack at Bayern. I thought it was very harsh. Um, and we're talking about that level and, and the, the room, I mean, the, the speculation is possibly Real Madrid, possibly Chelsea. If he has a choice between Real Madrid, Chelsea and Tottenham, there's no way he's going to pick Tottenham, is it? Let's be honest. Yeah, fair comment. <laughs> I'll handle that one, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that they need someone who's hungry. I, I agree with Swartzy. I, I think uh, they got to, you know, make sure that they're not too big for the club, that they don't, you know, are looking elsewhere. They 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 gotta be in for the long haul. They they gotta be there. You know, I, I would prefer someone who's you know who's, who's not been as successful. You know, who's not got all the trophies. Who I agree, Nagelsmann probably just about fits in that category. But you know, I would look further down the list. You know, Postecoglou, 
Deserby, you know, some of those, Thomas Frank, you know, who can come in for the long haul because I think that's the way Tottenham has to approach it. Schwartzy, what about Oliver Glasner? His name is one of those ones that tends to end up on the list of favourites and list of odds, but never actually at the top of the list. He's at Eintracht Frankfurt at the moment, previously at Wolfsburg, um, and then Austria before that. Uh, what could Spurs expect when we talk about someone who doesn't think they're bigger than the club or doesn't think that they're doing a favour to Tottenham just by being there, which is very much the mentality of Mourinho and Conte? Could it be someone like an Oliver Glasner that's the right man to come in? He's done really well wherever he's gone. Um, at Wolfsburg, like you mentioned, he had success there. Um, and he's had success at Eintracht Frankfurt winning the Europa League, which people would say you know, it's only the Europa League. But still, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big European trophy to win. Um, and uh, he sort of turned a Frankfurt side into a team that um, is obviously able to win those sort of trophies, but also compete um, in the Bundesliga. I mean, albeit not necessarily for the title, because that's generally a one-horse race, even though this season is a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. Look, I, I reckon he's a little bit left field. Um, he certainly hasn't got the profile or the big name profile that, that one would kind of expect or, or think that Tottenham would look to try and get in. Certainly nothing like the profiles they've had previously. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm a bit like Thomas. I, I think Dezubi, Post Ange Postokoglu, I think would be a great signing for them in the summer, whether or not he'd be remotely interested or not, who knows. Um, I, I also, I like the, the idea of potentially Luis Enrique. I, I, I think he could do a pretty decent job as well. Bridgie, are we sure that Luis Enrique isn't falling into a similar trap as Mourinho and Conte, that it's someone who's been very successful with, to be fair, a much bigger club, uh, who might be seen in his own mind as taking a step down and deigning Tottenham with his presence if he were to take the job? I'm not going to take the bait. I am not going to bite to you. I know exactly what you're trying to get us to do. <laughs> and the reason I haven't mentioned Enrique, I don't think he fits fits the... Um, Fits what Spurs are after, and like you, I, you know, a bit of tongue in cheek. I know what you're saying, and and yes, I do agree with you. He probably would see that. I think he's got bigger, bigger things on his plate, and waiting for a bigger opportunity, no doubt about it. Uh, and but like you said, just there's just something. Things happen for a reason, right? I'm a big believer in fate, and with with the Bayern Munich saga that's happened, Nagelsmann getting sacked. I couldn't believe the news when it broke, and I was just thinking. What 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 has gone on there? It's it's an absolute shambles. But you know when you when he's want he might just want to get straight back into something, and this could be a massive project from known that he's he could potentially get Tottenham some silverware, and I think that's what could be the deciding factor. Bridgie in in Germany, Bayern Munich and owners, you know, FC Hollywood and. Uh... Nagelsmann's relationship with a journalist and apparent leaking to the media was a major drama and a contributing factor to him leaving Bayern Munich. Are you sure he's the right person for the spotlight of Tottenham, given the English press and the tabloid media are going to be looking at every peripheral issue in his life in addition to the football and looking to turn that into both content and a story? Well, it does help when your partner or your wife is part is a journalist as well, and she gets all the all the dirt allegedly. So I'm sure he'd be able to control that somehow. And um, there's never a dull moment for headlines at Tottenham Hotspur. So maybe she might be the one that dictates that he goes there to help her journalism career. There you go. Well, she's no she's no longer at the Bild Zeitung, so she's left her her post there as well. So since since um, the whole Nagelsmann happened, she's left, um, and obviously Nagelsmann's out of a job. Uh, yeah, so. It could be. You know, the other thing about it is the profile would fit because the only thing is about whether or not the club is big enough for Nagelsmann after the, after Bayern because he had he had look he had success there, and like I said, 
I thought he was very harshly done by. Um, but he's used to working within a framework well, where you're saying by, they're not big enough, right? Champions League finalists a few years ago, mate. Don't forget that. Yeah, a few years ago. And um, I would say that also, um, <laughs> I, I would also say he would work within the framework. So he's used to having a, a, a like a, a sport director who brings in players. He doesn't have a necessarily a say in those type of players. And that could work well under someone like a Daniel Levy, which I think a lot of people have struggled with. You know Ange Postacoglu. When the phone call comes from Spurs to his agent or even to Ange direct, how does that phone call go? What does Spurs ask when they call? And what does Ange say? What's his first question back to Tottenham when he receives that call? Uh, The question, I mean, I suppose for Ange, look, I, I, I think for him, again, it's, and this is not trying to be disrespectful to, to Celtic and, and the league, and, and, and that's what always happens. Celtic are a massive club. But the, obviously, Premier League is, the is the in my opinion, the best league in the world. So to, to be in that league, to be at a club that are, let's be honest, Tottenham are, a, what, top sort of six to eight team these days. Um, and I think for, for Ange, that would be a big step up. And therefore, it would really be about, okay, <clears throat> I think it would be a case of, okay, I, I want to have a say. Not necessarily be involved in every player that comes in through that door, but I need to have a say because I need to play a certain way. These are the type of players that I want. And I think I think for Ange's system to work, Ange has to have a bit more of a say in, in, in the type of players that they bring to the club because he wants a certain type of player all the time. But saying that, I also think he can, he can, he can coach players. I think he changes players. I think he's got the ability and he's shown that to make players better. And that's what we don't see a lot of these days. We don't see, certainly even the big name names like Conte. Tell me a player that's actually better now at Spurs. I don't think there's a single player since Conte's been there has gotten better, has improved. Um, and and that that is something that I think Ange does, re- does really well. He, you know, if you go on that journey, he wants you on that journey. He improves players. He improves the, the quality of, of football they play, but also improves the individual. Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly what, what, they, what they should be looking for. You know, I think they, they, they need someone who can, you know, probably with a with a lesser budget, uh, you know, the Tottenham have not been sort of known for splashing on, on huge, huge stars. So, so you need someone, you know, like Ateta has done in, at, uh, at Arsenal. You know, you need someone, that, as you said, who, who can actually get the best out of players, revive Son as well. I think, you know, he's been dropping off big time compared to, to the past. But what, what, what I wanted to, to ask Bridges, like you, we're looking at Pochettino, he's three to one. You know, what, what are your thoughts on him? Because, you know, for me, I'm always a bit wary of bringing back a manager who was under the same, you know, the, you know Levy was there when, when he was there. And, and do you just fall into the same, you know, rhythm? You know, because I think for Tottenham, either they need to go in a different direction. And, and that, that's my worry about it. But I don't know what you think, Bridgie, if, if you would want him back. Oh, Tommy, I would be absolutely delighted as well because I... I love what he did at Tottenham Hotspur. It's like um, what Swartz was just talking about there. Conte hasn't improved players. Pochettino did. He improved a lot of players at that football club. He took them to heights that they'd never been before. And, you know, when he left, it was there was a huge thing about the players absolutely devastated because of the relationship that he had with, with the players and the bond. The the thing, and he, and he also understands what is expected. Um, having worked under Levy before, known the club inside out, I think he would want a few more says um, in what goes on regarding transfers and things like that, whether he gets that, I don't know. But I, I'd welcome him back with open arms, Tommy. So for me, it, between you know the, the names that are in mentioned, it would be Nagelsmann and Pochettino that I'd love to see come back to Tottenham. 
I can't believe you're asking uh, Michael uh, Thomas because you know what he's like. Nuno came and he was like, he's the man. <laughs> Conte came and he's the man. Mate, why are you asking? Because then the next minute will be like, can't wait, he's got to go. Oh, I'm so delighted he's been sacked. <laughs> Bring back Terry Venables. Absolutely awesome. <laughs> complete. Get him back. Is this a turning point for the club or just a continuation of more of the same? Because, Bridgie, um, you, I think you have fallen into the trap. We're just seeing more of the same. And I wouldn't be shocked if Mark Schwartz is right. And if in 18 to 24 months, yeah. you are calling for the head of your next appointment and saying it's the right thing that he's gone. Listen, the only reason I called for Conte's head was because of the outburst that he came out with. I thought they were absolutely derogatory towards the football club, towards the players. And it, it was, he could not come back into that environment because of what he'd created. He was almost asking to be sacked. So I'm, I'm with the majority. If I was a player at that football club, I wouldn't want to work under a guy like that anymore. So I'm seeing it from that. I'm not asking for his head for the results and things like that because I think they're still in a, in a decent position this season considering what's going on. But it was he had to go. So there you go. And I'm hoping that this is a turning point. But like we say, we will probably do in the gig and pod in 2024 and we'll still be talking the same crap about Tottenham Hotspur. So moving on <laughs> swiftly. All right. Yes, let's indeed move on. Bridgie, we've put the blowtorch on you, but we need to change the focus now to a man who when quizzed about this international window, was very quick to reach into his kit bag and pull out an Australian passport. Thomas Sorensen, we hear uh, your dulcet tones and your accent every week. I didn't realise that your Australian accent had become so refined in such a quick amount of time so that when Kazakhstan, uh, the greatest country in the world, were able to come from 2-0 down to beat Denmark 3-2, that you were a dinky-die proud Aussie. Thomas, welcome to the franchise. Love, love having you on board. Um, I, I'm guessing then that uh, you don't need to really address what happened uh, in Astana. <laughs> you know what? I, I learned from the best on this gagging pod. Uh, we got one of the all-time, you know, best people on here who, who can switch teams from day to day, from week to week. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, Michael Bridges, uh, I've learned from you, man. And, uh, you know, my Aussie passport is out. Uh, but not going back to that game, I don't know, I'm not too worried about Denmark. It was, uh, it, it was just a, you know, a, a freak, you know, taking the foot off the, the gas a little bit. I think Kazakhstan got lucky with, with a penalty. And, and then we all played in games where, you know, it's just hard to get from third gear to fifth gear again. And Kazakhstan, great atmosphere there. He scored a cracker of a second goal and then last minute, you know, it, it, it's a wake-up call. Uh, and I think the player said it after the game as well, that uh, they'd even talked about it in the dressing room at halftime, that the next goal, you know, the class, all the cla classics were out and, and they, they still didn't do it. So, uh, yeah, it's a step back, but they, uh, they still look good, though. Here's the thing, Kasper Hulman, great Euros. No one's denying that. Maybe could have even made the final with Denmark. But the World Cup group stage exit was not what anyone was expecting from Denmark. And now they've one win, one loss, uh, a very even qualifying group as well. A couple of wild cards in there in the form of Kazakhstan and Slovenia. Certainly Denmark, the top seed in this group, expected to still make the top two. How much heat will he be under to keep his job? Or is the patience going to survive, given that Finland, Northern Ireland, San Marino, maybe there are some soft kills in there for Denmark to still make this qualifying a breeze? Oh, they, yeah, I'm hoping they're making it a breeze. But I think those two games in, <clears throat> in June are going to be massive. Uh, the spotlight is certainly on, especially after the World Cup. Um, uh, it, it's been good on the eye. I thought that the performance against Finland was good. Even this game, you know, they look good for 70 minutes. 
Um, but, um, you know, th th there's definitely a mentality issue or at least some question marks. I think, uh, you know, I, I look at that, uh, you know, game, especially against Australia, there was no reaction when Australia went ahead. And I thought they, they looked perplexed in, in the last, you know, as soon as Kazakhstan started getting back and get the, getting the momentum, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't that fight back that you would expect. Uh, so, so that's where... I think the spotlight has to be on the mentality, and Casper Michael nailed it after afterwards. You know, he said, "There's no question about our ability, but we got we got to be better menta mentally." And some of the young players and and the older, they they got to find a way to win games when when it gets tough, and and that's that's what I'll be looking for in, in June because they 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 need to get points there for sure. I'll tell you what I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to be looking for a passport for Northern Ireland when they play Denmark on the 16th of June as well, because I'm going to be cheering them on all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Come on, Bridgie. You've got to back me. As far as the emergence of Kazakhstan, Mark Schwarzer, Optus Sport is, of course, the broadcaster of the uh, UEFA Nations League. And it does seem as though, particularly the British press, they get a little bit snobby about the Nations League. You know, a lot of people see this as sort of a, a you know a money grab from UEFA or a way to turn friendlies into competitive games in order to cap tie players to their nations. But you look at that Kazakhstan squad, the entire squad except for one player based in the Kazakh League, without the Nations League being able to build up these mid-tier and lower tier nations, putting them in more games that are competitive and making them fight their way up the rankings. Would results like this even have been possible if the Nations League didn't exist? Probably not. No, I, I like the format. I like the way that there is that grouping stage. I like how the, the teams are, um, are based up against like-for-like like teams, similar levels. It definitely brings more exciting games, definitely more competitive games, and I think, therefore, it does help development. I don't think there's any any doubt about that whatsoever. The problem is you've got the, the, the top the top teams are probably the ones that are probably more annoyed about it because they can't have their lucrative fan, friendies. They can't make the extra money. So they're, they're, they're obviously going to play in this tournament that, that UEFA have organised, and that's why most of the countries will be annoyed by it. Um, so, but I, but I think overall for the development of the game to bring the standards up for for the the lesser nations, I think it's a very good tournament. Well, let's talk about one of those middle tier teams uh, from Group B of the Nations League. That is, of course, England. Uh, they bounced back with two wins from two, and they looked pretty comfortable in beating Italy. And then they took care of business against Ukraine. Bridgie, what were your takeaways? Obviously, nice to get a bit of revenge for the Euros final on Italy. And uh, it seems as though Gareth Southgate very much reverting back to type in an international window where England looked largely comfortable taking care of business and taking charge of their group. Yeah, it was it was great to watch, and it was nice to be able to text Swartz as well during this because um, I was I was all about Harry Kane during the week, saying how I'd love him to get get on the score sheet to get that all time record, and to think that it was been so long since England have actually got a result in Italy um, and to get revenge for the like you say the Euro finals. I thought first half England were absolutely fantastic. They were, they were you know, the, the, they got the press right. They they got the dynamics of the team right, and they took their opportunities. And I was I was texting Swartzy saying the class is going to shine through from Italy soon. And you know it was it was it was a nervous watch towards the end because I thought the the Italians came out with a a, a great incentive second half and they started dominating the game. And you know England were hanging on towards the end, but they managed to get the result done. And then taking that into the Ukraine game. Um, which was never going to be easy. Um, it was all about getting that first goal. And I thought when it went to 1-0, 2-0, here we go. And they just didn't, they seemed to run out of ideas. And fair play to Ukraine, they hung by it. But it's all about the six points for England. So I was one very, very, very happy man this week. 
I think you're right. England were outstanding in the first 45 minutes, but they did make it difficult for themselves. Was it Grealish who had that unbelievable chance? Should have made it 3-0. Yeah. Um, the game would have been dead and buried. I thought Italy were gone. They were. I thought they were so poor in the first half, partly because England was so good, uh, but Italy were poor. And, and England allowed them to come back in the game in the second half. They definitely made the game more difficult for themselves. They should have buried them. Um, but yeah, you're right. Look, at the end of the day, there's, there's, it's a win away from home in Italy, which is the first time in a long, long time, um, and it puts England in a great position in that, at the top of that group. 1961 was the last time. Mate, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Until the two, they're, they're obviously the two teams that are competing for that qualification for the top two spots as well. When you consider the other two is North Macedonia and Malta, and I think North Macedonia potentially can go and finish above Ukraine from from what I witnessed. Well, speaking of Malta, I mean, it's Australia. There's a lot of uh, Maltese diaspora, and I have a few Maltese friends that were in the uh, direct messages just suggesting that maybe they were half a chance of getting something off Italy. And I tell you what, Schwartzy, first five minutes, Gigi Donnarumma had to make a really good one-on-one save to stop Malta taking the lead. Italy did end up winning 2-0, and they were fairly comfortable after scoring the first goal. But... Just how unconvincing were they and how worried should Roberto Mancini be that he won't necessarily see Italy through this qualification phase before the pressure becomes too much? Look, I, I think he's got to be worried about the, the the performance of his side. Obviously, he's got some new players playing for Italy. He's, sh- he's shaking up a little bit. Um, I'm very surprised he kept his job, to be perfectly honest with you, after the disastrous World Cup qualifying campaign. Um, but then he did win the Euros, out, out, you know, which was a which was a fantastic accomplishment. Um, so there is a little bit of loyalty in football sometimes, um, and 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 that performance, the the first forty five minutes against England probably were the biggest concern for me, and I think for them going to Malta there was always going to be um, a rocky patch, and I also think teams are not as scared as uh, of Italy anymore. There's not a fear factor. I think everyone feels like any team feels like they can get something out of Italy, um, because I think the pressure on Italy's shoulders is so great after such a bad run. Um, that they're gonna they're gonna find it really tough to get results, and they're gonna have to grind results out. And um, and I think for Donnarumma, that that's a massive massive confidence boost because I think he's one of those goalkeepers that that had I think during the Euros was outstanding, but then since then has really struggled for consistency. Let's leave Italy there and talk about Portugal because their new era under Roberto Martinez started, but it's not really a new era, it's the same olds because Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, credit to him, he scored his first international goal against Liechtenstein. I know that he'd uh, scored plenty against Lithuania over the journey, but Liechtenstein had been his bogey team. And then he came out and he hit the Sui twice uh, in the game that they played against... Luxembourg. Wow, how could I possibly forget? He only has 11 in 11 against Luxembourg. So, Thomas, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's up to 198 caps, 122 international goals. But has Roberto Martinez abdicated his responsibility to push through a bit of generational change? Uh, I I think, you know, from everything that's come out from Ronaldo as well, uh, is that uh, it seems at least they've had a good conversation of, of where he's at and and what his role is going to be moving forward, uh, I think he needs to take up. You know, he can't be that oxygen, you know, sucker that he was at the World Cup, and you know he has to be a bit more of a team player. Uh, and it seems that he's settled in, but I still question though. You know, when they play Slovakia, when they play the tight games, if they and when they go to the Euros uh, in Germany, you know, I can't see him beating the future, and and that's. 
it seems he's doing him a bit of a gesture and then he's probably going to fade him out. That's, that's my, at least, uh, theory on it. Um, you know, he doesn't want to throw him out straight away. But uh, I think as we progress, I think we'll see him less and less uh, in the starting lineup because that's the way Portugal has to go. So I think it's smart from Mancini, keep, uh, sorry, uh, um, Martinez, to, to keep him in. Um, but um, yeah, I, I see, I'll see a fade out. That's, that's at least my theory on it. The, the thing about it is, I, I, I agree to a, to a large extent. I think there'll be a, a, I think there must have been a conversation to say to him, look, you know, obviously you are who you are. You've done what you've done. You've, I mean, a phenomenal record. 198 caps is just it is ridiculous. ridiculous. Um, 122 goals is is right up there. I mean, you you can't you you can't argue with that, right? Um, but he is playing in a in a in a, in a far far inferior league. And it depends on how how long he can go on for. Look, so far he's had two tests. Okay, it was against Liechtenstein and against uh, Luxembourg, but he still scored goals. And I think that's the key. If he keeps scoring goals, and so long as he changes his way a little bit, because at United he wasn't a team player. At United it was all about about Ronaldo, and then the minute he wasn't in the limelight, he threw his toys out of the pram. <laughs> the question will be moving forward, and that's what Thomas I think was alluding to. Is he prepared to be that team player? Is he prepared to be, come the Euros, he may be that bit part player. He may be that player that plays one game, then doesn't play the next or comes on. Or he might come on, start off the bench every time. You never know. But the question is, is he able to do that? I'm not so sure. But if you're the manager of that, fo- if you're the manager of that nation and you're playing Ronaldo and he is scoring goals and he scored two in both games, you're going to be saying, mate, play as long as you can. If you're scoring goals, until you start to see some kind of Wiltering, you know what I mean? Doesn't I don't think it matters what league he's playing at the moment, Swartzy. To be fair, if he's if he can still turn up for international duty and play with all them quality of players and get the goals, then I'm playing him. I'm playing him until he's till he's done. I, I agree with you. I, I have no problems with him playing because I mean, if he's scoring goals, how, how can you take him out of there? The question will be when they come up against better opposition. Then then the question will be when he starts and say he doesn't is he isn't effective. How is he going to react when he gets substituted? Is he able to be substituted? I mean, is the manager going to feel like there's pressure that I can't substitute him? You know what I mean? So I think there's a lot of things that come into play, and I think that comes about with conversations. And it depends on where Ronaldo is with that, and Martinez, of course, because he's the manager. So it really depends on how he sees it going forward. But ultimately, you would think um, there, there is going to be a time, like with everyone, there is a time when when it drops off. And, and he has shown over the last couple of seasons, that's why he is playing in the Saudi League. He's, that's why he's not playing in the top league anymore because he's he's not at that he hasn't been at that level regularly. And I think it's also a question of is he going to take that role where he's he's actually going to go in and try to help some of the young players. Like we saw, you know, obviously Ramos coming on at the at the World Cup doing really well. They have got Rafael Leao there because you don't want to hold them back. But if he can actually offer them some guidance and and can actually work with them as well, get making them better uh, as part of his role in within the team. Then I see, uh, you know, then I see a lot of positives in in keeping him around. Well, let's talk about another new gaffer that has revived the career of a striker. In this case, we'll be talking about Belgium, Romelu Lukaku, 
and the new Belgium manager, Domenico Tedesco. Now, Belgium, they uh, they beat Sweden, and then they've now beaten Germany 3-2, albeit in a friendly. Germany, of course, hosting the Euros, meaning that they don't play in the Euro qualifiers. But Lukaku <laughs> scored again, and Belgium have two wins from two. So, uh, long-time listeners to the Gegenpod will know that I was uh, a big advocate for Domenico Tedesco being Graham Arnold's successor as the Socceroos. The World Cup success kind of put that on the back burner. But, Schwartzy, Belgium instead are the beneficiaries of getting to appoint Tedesco and is this Belgium golden generation actually going to experience a bit of a renaissance under a new manager? Look yeah I, th- I think with a, a often you see it with a, with a manager change um, that you'll get something extra out of players and it can be the simple thing of putting your hand around someone uh, around their around the you know around them and saying look you know how important they are um, give them that extra boost and that extra confidence look you've got to take your hand hat off to to um um, to the manager because to get what he's got out of Lukaku so far, no other manager has been able to do that in the last two or three seasons. And it just, Lukaku just looks like a guy, looked like somebody was gone. He looked like he was, he he'd sort of dropped off the face of the earth. His, his, his physical conditions were known in the levels. He was getting injured all the time. He struggled back in Italy. He was really poor at Chelsea, which was a real big surprise to me. Um, so Tedesco's done a great job thus far. But it's only early doors, right? So let's just wait and see what happens. Um, but I, I, I think I said I, I was very surprised Tedesco got the job for for uh, Belgium. Um, I thought it was a bit of a left field appointment. You know, the, the group in, in itself, you know, Sweden, they've, they've already beaten them away. So, you know, they, they should be okay. Um, uh, you know, again, Austria have come up to, to, to a good start. But yeah, Belgium... You know, again, that would be a dream job as a manager with with the players and you know even the the young younger players that are coming that are coming through, you know. And he, he's you know he switched it up a bit. He's he's given uh, you know some 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 new players uh, a bit of a go. I think you know the the uh, at the back and you know some of the older players at the back have been sort of swapped out. And you know I think there's there's a good you know a good a good bit of optimism at uh, in Belgium. Well, they're near neighbours, the Netherlands. Uh, Absolutely hammered, 4-0 by France. They've turned around and beaten Gibraltar since. But, you know, Greece have now got a foothold in the group. The Republic of Ireland are in there as well. So a couple of banana skins and getting into the top two is no mere formality. Bridgie, do you think that uh, the Dutch, yeah, they love to look within their own. They're very insular with how they have both a philosophy and also managers. They've gone back to Ronald Koeman. It seems as though everyone get, gets a second or even a third crack at being the manager of the Dutch national team. Have they gone to the well one time too many? I mean, they are no strangers to missing out on qualifying for big tournaments. And I know there are plenty of Greek Australians who will be hoping that when they meet the Netherlands, they'll be able to roll them. <coughs> well, not only not only Greece, uh, the Republic of Ireland as well. They will be absolutely buzzing with the obviously the the performance that they saw the Netherlands put in against France. They you know they they, they almost look like they've given up and thrown the towel in. Now, if you're if you're doing that at a national level. Um, I thought it was absolutely shocking, to be fair. And then when you try and bounce back against Gibraltar, it, it, was, it, it was a 3-0. It wasn't a convincing 3-0. They, they should have dominated a lot more in that game. And I, I, I think they've, they've gone the wrong, to, the, to the wrong man, to be fair. And I, I really hope, I'm saying this, I really hope we see Greece or Republic of Ireland get through as the number two in that group. Because there's no doubt about it. France are going to top that group. I think France will go through unbeaten. 
Um, I can't see them. In fact, I can see them winning every single game, the form that they're on. But I'm going to be wearing every nation's jersey that plays against the Netherlands to see them not make it because I'm sick of the arrogance of it all. So there you go. Yeah, no, Theo, I think when you're looking at all these qualifiers, I, I, you know, and you're trying to pinpoint what big teams will be in, in trouble, I, I really fear for the Dutch. I, I think, uh, you know, going back to Koeman and, you know, going back to the 4-3-3, I think that was part of the deal. You know, so they seem to be stuck in that uh, never-ending uh, rotation of, of, you know, the past. And, and just the two performances, I think they were lacklustre. Even, you know, you know, against Gibraltar, they had 49 shots uh, a goal uh, and, and only managed three. So there's definitely a lot to be, you know, to... You know, a lot of questions to be asked, and, and Thomas, it should have been seven, eight, nine, or ten nil. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't, and and you and you're rightly saying Ireland and Greece. You know, it's a tough place to go both places. You know, they, you know, it's it's not a straightforward conclusion. So I think they could be in for a long battle here. I, I think I think the Netherlands will be fine. I honestly do. I think they'll. I think they've got too much quality but what i do enjoy i'm i enjoy watching them implode on each other i do enjoy <laughs> when like van basten hullet come out and slag van dyke and they just they go at each other it's like it's comical it really is it's um i mean van dyke is obviously has been one of the best defenders in the world and of course he's gone through a bit of a rough patch as have liverpool um and ha- as have the netherlands but he's still a top top quality defender yeah. But I, lo- I love seeing I love seeing the so way they that's, just that's a funny part about it. They go for each other. In- England worry about the media, all right? They don't really worry about some of the ex-players coming out. The, the Netherlands squad absolutely crap themselves thinking about all the ex-players. It's not it's not the media that come for them. It's every ex-player that's won stuff. I know it's incredible, isn't it? And and and, and they do go for it, don't they? I mean, it's like Bayern when uh, Rummenigge and all the uh, the ex-players come out. Every time you saw it with Bayern with with Nagelsmann, didn't you? Marcus Bubble yeah. um, absolutely slaughtered him, as did um, uh, Deep Mahaman. I mean, everyone was out for it, and and uh, Lothar Mateus was well was El, was there as well. So yeah, it's the same thing. The Germans and the Dutch love love attacking <laughs> each other. All right, I might have saved the best until last here in terms of the even groups because Thomas, you flagged who's going to be the biggest team to miss out. I don't think too many people would have suggested Spain, but my goodness, Scotland with a landmark win at Hampton Park defeating Spain. Georgia and Norway drew with each other. Erling Haaland missed this international break, meaning that he wasn't there for the game against Georgia, but he could be back for the games against Spain. And then Martin Odegaard, that could turn Norway into a potential wrecking ball, even though they only have one point from their first two games. All of a sudden, this group is properly up for grabs. And Bridgie, given that you were offered to play for the Scotland under-20s, I'll give you the first crack at uh, talking about exactly what direction Group A is going to go. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, the atmosphere at Hand and Park when I was watching watching it and listening to it, it was incredible. And, you know, the Spanish, uh, Spain looked totally... They, they couldn't handle it. Now, they've, they've played big games before. We know that. They just couldn't handle it. The, the passing, the dynamics had gone. And Scotland, to be fair to Clark and his team, I mean, John Carver's there, who I worked under as well. They absolutely, you know, dominated that midfield area where they just tried to force Spain out wide. And then they handled everything in the wide areas. And, you know, Taney was absolutely outstanding. It was a, it was a marvellous performance. McTominay, again, he's got four goals in two games. Um, it was just a special night for Scotland. I mean, that is a long, long time since they've got a result um, against Spain. And that was, that's a, it's, a, it's a historic moment. And I think that's one thing that I'll say for Clark. He has instilled something in this team. It's a, it's a belief. 
And he's told them never to mention anything about the playoffs. It's all about qualification and they're, they're really focused. And the last time I think I'd come across this with Ange Postacoglu when he was talking about um, Australia, and not one of the players was allowed to mention anything to do with qualification. It was all about we will be there, we will win, we will get this done in the Asian Cup and they went on to win it. So yeah, fair play. It was a, it was a huge, huge night and they'll just be hoping though that um, Haaland is still something wrong with him come the next time because that's who Scotland face next. And can Haaland handle the pressure? Yes, he can. Well, just briefly on Haaland, uh, Thomas, is there a bit of a risk that if his club commitments, Manchester City and, and his focus on winning trophies there, take means that he needs to use international breaks as a bit of a rest, could he potentially become, dare I say his name, the new Ryan Giggs, who is not really all that fussed about <laughs> international football and qualifying Norway for major tournaments? I, I... You know, I don't think we've seen that uh, up until this point. I think he's he's always been been very proud. I think he's just got that hunger to chase records, you know, and uh, and and get Norway back. I think it's twenty years or something since they uh, were at a, a big tournament last time. And and I know it's you know they're seeing Denmark, obviously they're seeing Sweden uh, having great runs at World Cups and Euros, uh, and I think it hurts them. Uh, and it seems from what I've heard from him as well. That, that is his mission as well to, to help them. So, uh, you know, I, he'll be back, I'm sure. And, um, you know, Norway, I think they've got a good enough team now to, to actually threaten that group uh, despite the, the bad start. Um, and um, I think this group is, is pretty open. I, 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 this, is, this is the one to watch for me because, as, as you said, Scotland are revitalized. I expect more from Norway. Spain, obviously, going to be there. So, yeah, that, that, this is going to be fireworks in this group. I think Norway are a very, very different team if uh, Haaland and Odegaard uh, are in it. They're, they're a completely different side. And they will cause Scotland a lot of problems. Um, and, and I agree that this group is really tight. And the three, those three teams, Scotland, Spain and Norway, are going to fight it out. And it's going to be an intriguing battle between now um, and that last uh, qualifier. Well, the three jerseys I've got behind me, France are going to qualify with maximum points. England are going to qualify with maximum points. And I've put a Scotland jersey there. They're going to qualify with maximum points. So there you go. Well, thank you for explaining it, Bridget, because the majority of our audience uh, are podcast listeners. So thank you for the rundown. We are going to take a break here on the Gegen Pod. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Socceroos, the WSL and the return of the Premier League. Stay with us. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. We've got Michael Bridges, Thomas Sorensen, and Mark Schwarzer with us today. And before we get to previewing the Premier League's return, let's just pass by the Socceroos because they had a win and a loss in their two friendlies against Ecuador. We got to see Aidan O'Neill's first cap. Brandon Borello and Garen Quoll score their first international goal. But Graham Arnold saying that they were physically outbattled in Melbourne against Ecuador in a 2-1 come-from-behind win for Ecuador. Plenty to learn and uh, some encouraging signs, not least Joe Gauchy making his international debut between the sticks. So, Mark Schwarzer, Australia's next World Cup qualification cycle will have uh, a little sojourn at the Asian Cup first. What do we make of uh, the next phase 
of the Socceroos under Graham Arnold? Uh, look, I think the the first game uh, against against um, Ecuador was a was a promising, were convincing, and a good performance. And I think it was our strongest team that he probably could have put out there, or, or close to uh, bearing the injuries um, that we've got. And I think uh, it was a very positive performance. This one was obviously a, a, a quite a big change in, in personnel, but it's, I think it's a really good opportunity to, to see fringe players, to see players that have been in the camp for the first time, getting an opportunity to get in that in that side, know what it's like to play with for the Socceroos, what it's like to play under pressure. And I think um, moving forward, I think the, res- the the games themselves have done their job. You know, it's. It, I think it's important to get those games under your belt and to give a, a, a bigger part of a bigger number of players an opportunity to perform at the highest level. Um, you mentioned Joe Gauci there. Look, I think he made probably made two really outstanding saves in the game. The one for very early on, and then the one on one. I thought he was very, very good. I, I don't think he could have done much about the goals at all. Having seen it, one was a penalty. The other one was a flick on from a corner. And um, look, I think it was a an impressive uh, debut for the Socceroos. Thomas, obviously a lot of A-League connections in this team and Australia has really become a bit of a shop window team where either players are going from the A-League to Europe or from lower tier leagues in Europe to potentially higher places. So it is a, a pretty optimistic time. It's it's always nice to be one of those teams that can at any given point in time capture the attention of uh, the big five leagues. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think, you know, this is what you use these two games for. You know, it's a, it's a first of all, a, a, a great opposition. Ecuador, we saw what they did at the World Cup. You know, they, they more or less had their best team here uh, and played their best team in in more or less both games. So 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 you're up against <clears throat> something where you can actually measure yourself. And I, and I think, you know, Jordan Boss as well, getting, uh, getting in. Iron Kunda was obviously not playing, but he was in the squad as well. Um, and, and as I said, a lot of players have moved to, to Scotland primarily. And, um, and, and I think it's positive, like Swartzy said. I think it's, it's, it's great uh, that you can actually see the young talent come through. And, and, uh, and also, you know, for, for the fans that went for, to both games, you know, you've you, you got to be able to, to connect and, and, and see that as well going forward, uh, that you're not just hanging around and that, that, that there's actually some development in Australian football. And, and I think it's, it's an exciting time. And I think both games showed that the, the talent from the A-League um, is good enough to, to compete at the international stage. Let's leave international football there and go back to the club game because the WSL threw up perhaps one of the, I'm going to say one of the upsets of the season with Manchester City's 2-0 win against Chelsea last weekend, setting up a table that reads as follows. Man United 38 points, Man City 38, Chelsea with a game in hand 37, Arsenal with a game in hand 35. It's an incredible run-in to the end of the season. I was expecting Chelsea to break away and run away with it, but they have the Champions League, which is preoccupied them a little bit. So, Bridgie, Arsenal versus Manchester City this weekend. Chelsea go away to Aston Villa, who themselves are no slouches because they're in fifth. It just seems as though this season is delivering once again. Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. And what I, I was absolutely gutted because I was um, I was having a, a, a ding dong with Amy Duggan about Manchester United against Chelsea, and it was the you know the the upset that everybody needed to keep the. To keep it alive last week um, or two weeks ago when Chelsea got a result of Manchester United and then Manchester City have only gone and thrown the gauntlet down and getting a result. So that was huge. And like you say, the, the games that are coming up is just going to be special. It's 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 so tight. It's so close. And you think if Arsenal can beat Man City this weekend, that puts all top three teams 
on 38 points. It's going to be absolutely tremendous to watch how it unfolds. Nobody else can come close, but I'm just really happy that this season we've seen um, there's a lot more teams that are involved in it. The standard of the games has gone up through the roof this season as well, across the competitiveness as well. We're not seeing as many high scores as we have seen over previous seasons. So for me, it's been a, it's been a huge, huge success. And I'm still hoping... Here you go, that Chelsea, I'm wanting Chelsea to get it and I'm wanting them to get the result um, and get the victory and take the title this season. So they've still got a game in hand over the top two and I'm hoping that they can get it done. For Sammy Kerr. No, but you, you've got to be impressed with, with Arsenal though. You know, uh, you know, you know with, with Matilda Eyes, Caitlin Ford, I think has done extremely well. Uh, you know, the Miedemeyer is, is, is obviously out. Beth Mead is out. And, and they're just their next three games with... They're playing Man United, Man City, and then Bayern Munich in the Champions League. You know, that, that's going to define their season. If they can get results there, they'll be right in it. But, you know, you're looking at the other teams, you know, they've, they've all got their big, big hitters uh, in Russo and obviously Sam Kerr, uh, Katisha Shaw at Man City. There, but Arsenal, I'm pretty impressed with how they've gone about it, losing their big players. So, yeah, it's an exciting league. And I think there's, you know, even with uh, Aussie eyes, there's, there's so many players doing well. Chelsea have only got one tough test left and they've got to play Arsenal. Um, the rest of the matches, I think they play Arsenal the second last weekend before the end of the season, whereas all the other teams, Arsenal, Man City, Man United, they're all playing each other. So I think Chelsea, they've got through, they didn't get the result this weekend, but that's why I feel their running is easier than the rest of them. So I'm going to take Chelsea on this one. Yeah, and they've got a game in hand as well. So that that's going to be, uh, you know, defining, could potentially be. Well, let's uh, get you, Thomas and Schwartzy, to pin your colours to a team. Bridgie's uh, earmarked Chelsea. Thomas, who's going to win the title? You've got four to choose from. Uh, you know, I'll go with Man City. I think uh, they've got a great momentum. Uh, Kadisha Shaw is, is unstoppable at the moment. They, they got the win over uh, Chelsea, obviously, which was a huge morale boost. They got, haven't got the Champions League to, to contest. So, you know, I think they'll be fresh going into to every single game. And so, so, so they're, they're my sort of outside view. You, you wouldn't have thought that, uh, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but I think now they are on fire and, and can potentially take that to a title. Yeah, I'm going with Chelsea. I, I think Chelsea, like Bridget, game in hand, e- easier run in. I've got Chelsea. <clears throat> You've got to go for, go for your own team. That, that is my team. <laughs> well, I, when, since when was Chelsea your team? They're not. They've never been on your list because I've just picked them. I've picked them three minutes before you spoke. I picked them. Teo said Bridgie's got Chelsea. He's got the Chelsea passport. Teo said Bridgie has Chelsea. I've seen all your. I've seen all your list: Newcastle, Sunderland, Leeds United, Tottenham, Carlisle. Have I missed anyone? Hull, <laughs> Hull City. Anyone else? No, There's got to be another Scotland. Scotland at least. Bristol Royal. Yeah, Bristol now. City. Yeah, exactly. Lambton Jaffers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now I'm going with Chelsea as well. You know what? I, I think um, <clears throat> I think they got the, the the quality, the strength, and depth in the squad. Um, and I think the easier run home, the the Champions League. I think midweek t- took a, a quite a big toll out of them. Uh, that was a huge result from away from home against Lyon. So, uh, but I still believe they've got enough and they've got the ex- experience. And know what it, know what it's like. To, uh, know, know what it takes to win the WSL. Well, women's football fans, uh, stick with us on the Gagan Pod because Amy Duggan will be back next week, and we do have a very special women's football themed guest 
I won't spoil it, but uh, you don't want to miss next week's Gegenpod. All right, let's look ahead to the Premier League weekend because after an international window, that first Premier League kickoff when it returns is always special just for the sake of uh, fans. Don't forget Daylight Savings is ending in the eastern states of Australia this weekend, so make sure you adjust your clocks accordingly uh, when you look at your sleep schedules and your kickoff time. But what a way to come back. 10.30 p.m., on Saturday night, Manchester City versus Liverpool. Is this the weekend, Mark, where Arsenal could break away and win the title? They've got Leeds, and Man City have this very tough Liverpool test. Well, you'd expect you'd expect Le- uh, Arsenal to beat Leeds. I mean, that, that's pretty much a given three points. Um, and I think the Manchester City-Liverpool game, look, Liverpool are just hit and miss. You just don't know what you're going to get from a Liverpool side. I would expect... Uh, Manchester City to to win that game um, just because they're at home and and you know they've been flying. No, the answer to answer your question, no, it's not the weekend when Arsenal win the title. Mathematically, it's not possible. And as long as it's not possible mathematically, they're not going to win it because Manchester City are so good. Even if they find themselves um, slipping up this weekend, they've still got the ability to go undefeated the rest of the season. And only needs Arsenal to slip up a couple of times. It's unlikely, but I still don't think. Um, they will win. It the, the, won't be this weekend, no. So what do you say Man City will win because they're at home? They've only won one in the last four matches against at home against Liverpool. And? So anything can happen. So I'm saying this This is a massive opportunity that Arsenal can now capitalise on. And I, I'm saying, yeah, I, I, I can see Liverpool going there and getting something out of this. And I'm hoping Leeds can get something out of Arsenal. But the way Arsenal have played this season, I cannot see it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think Man- uh, sorry, Liverpool can certainly beat Man City by by hitting them on the break. I think that's where Man City have shown that they've been vulnerable. Um, uh, but is their back line strong enough? Uh, th- that's where my question marks are. I, I don't think they've shown... Uh, you know, we were talking about Van Dijk, obviously, not being in top form. Uh, you know, that, that's been their Achilles heel, for sure. And that midfield, I just think Man City are going to boss it. Uh, and unless something freakish happened and Liverpool score on, you know, on every... Every chance they get, uh, you know, it's gonna. I think there'd be too much going on in the penalty area of Liverpool for, for, for Man City not to win. Now, there's not much point talking about the relegation battle because this is just going to be a ten-team schmoz all the way until the <laughs> final round of the season. But there is a game that's crucial in the battle for the top four, Bridgie. Uh, when we exchanged messages after the League Cup final, I won't repeat the language you used to describe it as a spectacle. But Newcastle do get their chance at revenge and they get it at St. James's Park. It is Amy Duggan versus Michael Bridges, Newcastle versus Manchester United. It has been one of the great sort of debates of the Gegen pod all season. Can Newcastle make the top four? If they win this, it would be a major step towards doing so. Bridgie, is there only one answer to this question? Who's winning when Newcastle play against Manchester United at 1.30am on Monday morning here in Australia? I'm going to have to say, it's gonna. I think it's going to be a cracking game. Newcastle need no more motivation than what they do because of obviously what happened in the League Cup. But I just feel that Manchester, you heard it here, right? I'm going to side with Amy Duggan. I feel Manchester United are just going to be too, too strong. And it might just be a little bit too far for Newcastle United. So that the, the, the spot that Newcastle... I, 
I would say the the state of affairs that Tottenham Hotspur are in. All right, another one of my teams. That's the fourth place that they've got to be looking for. I stick by my decision at the start of the season that Newcastle can get a top four, but this game is too far for them. Manchester United to win this one, and I think they'll win it quite comfortably, to be honest with you. Wow. You, like you're saying, yeah, I mean, luckily you saved yourself there that you said you still think they'll make the top four because it was sounding very much like you were saying that they're not going to make the top four. Um, and, and I tell you what, again... No, it wasn't. I was saying they're not going to win this game because Manchester United are stronger and Manchester United are going to go... Fifth, they're going to go six points clear in Newcastle United Sportsy. I know exactly what I'm saying. They're two points off Tottenham Hotspur. Let's just wait for that result and we'll see what happens right. when Newcastle finish fourth and Tottenham miss out on Champions League football. Richie, you're, you're an absolute mob this morning. You've taken the torches. You've gone into Tottenham. You, you've burned the castle down and get Conte out. Now you've gone into bloody Newcastle and thrown the torches in there as well and saying oh, they can't win like what's going on <laughs> You're, and they're, they're at home at the Geordie Fortress as well than at Newcastle they're at home and you think they've got no chance against <laughs> Manchester United wow I'm giving my professional opinion. I would love to see Newcastle get a result and, of Manchester United. And where is I've that got my professional cap on and I'm saying Manchester United will get a result. So stop trying to tarnish what I talk about. What, where has that got us this season when you've talked about your professional hat on? Jesus. <laughs> All right, well, we will leave it there because the Premier League is back on Optus Sport and daylight savings means that we're going to have more games in prime time during this run home to the finish line this season. Gentlemen, thank you for joining uh, me on the Gegen Pod this week. You're all having a week off next weekend. But as I mentioned, don't forget, we'll have Amy Duggan and a special guest. So make sure you hit subscribe on the Gegen Pod. Mark Schwartz up, Michael Bridges, Thomas Sorensen, thank you for your company. Thank you very much, Ted. I'd like to say to all the listeners, thank you very much for all you strikers out there, for all the midfielders, all defenders. And I apologise for the goalkeepers union. They're just two absolute knackers. Thank you. Uh, you know, some really wise words again from Michael Bridges. I'm sure people will be taking note. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think it'll, it'll go in, in one ear, out of the, out the other. But hey, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, Bridgie. Look forward to it, lads. Wow, the boys were informed today. And why wouldn't you be excited? Because the Premier League is back from the international break on Saturday at 10.30pm when Manchester City play Liverpool. See Arsenal against Leeds in a five-game goal rush from 1am on Sunday morning. And on Monday at 1.30am, it's the big one between Newcastle United and Manchester United. Make sure to adjust your clocks for the end of daylight savings. La Liga continues at 6am on Saturday with Mallorca against Osasuna. And you can see Barcelona play away to Elche at 5am on Sunday. And Real Madrid's clash with Valladolid at quarter past midnight on Monday. Make sure to adjust your clocks for the end of daylight savings. The WSC has six live games this weekend, including Arsenal's key battle with Manchester City at 9.30pm on Sunday and Sam Kerr's Chelsea away to Aston Villa at 3.45am on Monday. Make sure to adjust your clocks for the end of daylight savings. And the J-League and K-League continue on Optus Sport. Jump on the Optus Sport website or app for broadcast details. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and why not rate us five stars while you're there. Big episode next week. Amy Duggan will be back and a special guest as well talking all things Premier League and women's football. You don't want to miss this one. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Thank you for joining us once again on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gagan Podcast.